Uh, before we go to Gothenburg, mm. uh, I would just like to ask, like in general, uh, since that time that you started playing bass and today, uh, how have you trained uh, playing bass? Be- oh. Playing bass. Actually, I'm 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 very lazy. I should train much more than I mm. do, but I think I'm never the person to sort of sit down and okay, I need to train these things and that technique and all that. I'm more or less either I've been playing with bands and training that way. Mm. There's actually a time in my life where I was in three bands at the same time, so it was like basically rehearsing six times per day, mm. uh, six times per week, and sort of train like that. Uh, but training-wise, uh, I really need to kick my ass and just sit down and, and train playing. But I often often sort of just pick music and I try to play along with it. Mm. Uh, sometimes music that sort of brings me good mood, uh, sometimes music that sort of more challenge me in mm. a technical kind of way. Uh, and it's really great fun when you don't have the possibility of sort of getting into a rehearsal room and, and rehearse with other musicians, then that is the best possible substitute I come, can come up with at, mm. at the time. So you don't have like a signature, like uh, warm-ups or anything like that? For- yeah, well, um, if I sort of have to sit down and uh, do some rehearsing on my own for like an Amaranth mm. show or whatever, or if I just want to sort of practice in that sense, uh I always tend to first start off with some really sort of basic rock and roll, uh, easygoing, like 60s rock and roll or something. Mm. Uh, sometimes Pearl Jam or something something equivalent. Uh, and then when I get warmed up, I very often sort of slide over to sit and play uh, with Tool mm. with their songs, yeah. uh, which is always a challenge because it's it's... Trust me, it's much more difficult than you think. Yeah, <laughs> it's very ingenious. All the the drums and the bass and how it comes together is very, very cleverly done in Tool. Mm. I agree. Yeah. Um, but now let's continue to Cuthenberg. You yeah. at some point in your life was it your late teens or early twenties? You you moved to Cuthenberg. I think it was my early twenties, mm. if I'm not mistaken. Um, long story short, I had a I met a girl from Gothenburg and uh, I lost my job in my hometown because I was a, f- a freaking slacker. Mm. <laughs> uh, so I just felt like yeah. Fuck it, why not, why not just move to Gothenburg? Mm. Got an apartment and just moved. But at that time, uh, we still tried to have this band Bruce sort of floating, but people went off to universities and all that, and uh, it was getting difficult for me to take the bus like one hour, one way, in order for just rehearse a few hours and mm. then rush off to the bus to catch the last bus home again. So it's sort of, I think we just, we never call it a quits, so to speak, but we sort of just drifted apart. Yeah. Still in contact with the guys, but music-wise, we, we just sort of, it just ran out, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, and also at that time, I started to develop this sort of uh, interest more and more for uh, martial arts and especially mm. kickboxing and tie boxing. So I sort of 
spaced out in that universe for quite some time as well and yeah. didn't play actively in any band or anything just like working training and doing that for quite some time mm. so that was my start in Gothenburg actually so you started thigh boxing then and uh, mm. then now later you have started it again but we can address that a little bit later yeah but let's uh, keep to the timeline <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so through moving to Gothenburg you got to know the metal scene yeah uh, I had an old friend that I used to play with back in my hometown that mm. moved to Gothenburg before me and we started to hang out a bit and uh, and all that sort of going to bars in Gothenburg and rock shows and all mm. that metal shows most of uh, and then And he was in a band singing a band called Headplate, a sort of new metal uh, band. Mm. And their bass player decided to call it a quits. He yeah. he had it. He, he he had enough. Brilliant guy. I mean, he could really go far, but he just felt like, I'm done. So I got the call from my friend uh, who asked if I would like to fill the space. Mm. And I just like, well, okay, I can give it a try, but I haven't played in a while and... New metal has never been my thing, but okay, let's give it a go. Yeah. So I tried, and yeah, I got accepted, so to speak. So that's when it started. My music interest sort of sparked off again mm. after being on a, a bit of a hiatus for a while. Yeah. So started off playing new metal, and we did a couple of shows and getting more involved, hanging out with people uh, in bars and stuff, and getting to know people more because. In Gothenburg, basically, most of the bands rehearsed in this one big complex with mm. a lot of rehearsal rooms. So you're sort of starting to meet people and recognize people and yeah, yeah getting to know people in a much different way than before. Yeah. Than what you do, with, like if you go to a bar or something. <clears throat> and uh, like we discussed last time, it, it was a really active scene in Gothenburg. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Apparently it was much more active uh, a couple of years before, but it was still like really vibrant and active in the sort of uh, underground scene and mm. smaller bands. And there was always shows every weekend somewhere. And also there was much more uh, places to play, much mm. more small venues and bars and all that where you could pull off your own shows and stuff. So you could basically basically go and see a very good band every weekend. Yeah. And Also, everyone knew every, everyone, and that at that time it sort of occurred to me that uh, a band, because I was on this expression that a band is a band, it's a community, it's like a, a one organism, yeah. a family. You don't go live with another family. Mm. Uh, you stay with your band and you play with them only. But in Gothenburg, I sort of started to realize that people just jumping in between bands of so the drummer in that band they played bass in that band and then he sang in that band and then he played drums in a fourth band so it was like this really big family yeah. and uh, really much helping each other out if there was any problems with anything so it, it was a, a very good sense of community yeah. in, in Gothenburg back then that actually sounds a little bit like um, Olu at the at the peak before the covid situation because mm. there was there was an opportunity to see at least one or two or even three bands every weekend yeah. and 
there's the situation that a drummer might be in three bands or even playing another instrument in a, in another band. So, yeah. and it's so so fun to see because the common misconception about metal people, like people see people who are not in the scene or related to the scene in a way thinks that metal people are just egoistic diehard assholes and of Grumpy. course there, there, there are some some that are mm. that uh, but actually it, there is a lot of sort of sense of brotherhood and family feeling into it and people help each other out because yeah. well now it's starting to be more and more accepted with uh, metal music but back in the days it, it wasn't accepted I mean you were accused of being a satanist or eating kids or sacrificing dogs or whatever. Mm. I mean, it was just so frowned upon. Now it's like, I mean, for God's sake, famous metal musicians are now doing like TV shows and uh, family TV shows and game shows and all that. And it's like just just a different sort of acceptancy, but still this sort of us against them feeling and we need to help each other out is, I feel, that that is still around. Yeah. And in the, a big sense. the thing that uh, everybody does is that they share, nowadays they share each other's publications and uh, support each other by going to their gigs and uh, mm. everything like that. Yeah. So it has been, uh, the, the same kind of uh, thing has been happening from that time today, yeah. today but uh, uh, I think that uh, in Oulu there's a really healthy seen in that way that everybody at least almost everybody is is trying to help each other out yeah in a way because in in many ways there are not that much help to get from from the outside perspective Mm. so to speak so you need to help each other out and i think it's it it is also one of the things that actually founded the whole metal community worldwide it's this sense of belonging being in this sort of club if you like and it, I honestly think that that is something that has just stuck since day one mm. when it started off, wherever it started, I don't know. But And I think it's very typical to small towns as well uh, because Gothenburg is, a, yeah, it's a big town, but it's a, also a small town mm. in a global sense. And the music world and music scene is so literally very, very small. Mm. And you just help out. That's mm. just you, you. If you want to be an asshole and keep your contacts and shit by yourself, to yourself, then you're not going to get any far. Yeah. Because then no one wants to help you when you need help. So, it you get what you give. Mm. And we had a really good "Don't be an asshole" conversation last uh, time yeah. uh, on about, our rehearsal run. Yeah, rehearsal <laughs> run in the way that uh, uh, kind of. The be- people that are the true metal uh, kind of adi- attitude that yeah. uh, they don't actually belong as well within the metal community, in my opinion, than people who are helping each other and uh, yeah. being open-minded and everything like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, this oh that oh be I'm true metal or you not you're not a true metal man like mm. what? Please explain to me what true metal is. I mean. For some, it seems to be that oh, I can't listen to this band because they don't use real amplifiers live, 
or uh, no, I can't listen to this band because they use uh, backtracks live or mm. click track or yeah, well, I don't listen to this band because they don't use a cable. They have a wireless system. Jesus, I want an amplifier, my pointy metal guitar, a cable and a distortion pedal, mm. maybe a wawa pedal for my kick-ass solos. And that's how I'm going to take over the world. Mm. Well, good luck. I mean, you have to be open-minded. Mm. You you can't paint yourself into a corner like that. And true metal, come on, honestly. People who think they are true metal uh, are basically, well, they don't have a clue what they're getting themselves into. Mm. So get a grip. Yeah. Open up your perspective a bit. Yeah, and I've been fortunate enough to, uh, like, I'm not a musician myself, but I've been uh, fortunate enough to be working at a local venue at Club Teatria and... Uh, uh, and festivals less, as well. And festivals yeah. as well. So I would say that 99, 98% of people I meet are really friendly and uh, are getting along, but then there's uh, some people that are not so friendly in a way, but... Uh, I would like to focus on the positive side that yeah. most people, even more successful in a way or less successful in a way, they are always being so nice. And that kind of made me uh, interest, interested in doing more and more mm. like uh, backstage work, so to speak, yeah. like being a stagehand and such. And uh, also that is why I started this podcast because with that, uh, without that work, I wouldn't have the context contacts to do this as yeah. well as i can nowadays yeah but you are you're literally like a, a sponge you <laughs> suck up all the information you can get and I, i really admire that because you work at venues and you talk with all the bands and all that but you do it in an extremely correct sort of polite way yeah. uh, and you can see that you really like your job and you take mm. it serious which is just fantastic because Many people don't understand what immense amount of work stagehands actually do. Yeah. And people working at venues just dragging all the gear back and forth and people working at the festivals with it's it is a an insane stressful time and you work like 18 hours and you you get a pat on the back mm. and people yell at you uh, basically. <laughs> and It is an insane work, and I, I think, as you know, I, I've always also done my my fair share mm, with uh, yeah. that kind of work, and I think that sort of gave me a complete different respect for people behind the stage mm. that actually makes the shit works yeah. and the shit happens. In my honest opinion, I think that festivals are are like easier in a way, even though they are physically more demanding because it's nonstop work usually. Yeah. But uh, with uh, with venues is that a band might come uh, to the venue at noon or in the morning. Yeah. Then you set up the stage. Then there's like a, a six or even an eight hour break. Yeah. With sound checks and everything, if there's just one band going on, and then you have to wait until the band in, stops playing. Yeah. And then your work start, starts again. Yeah. But in case something happens, you have to stay at the venue. Yeah. 
if so, you need to go get yeah. something or help out with whatever and yeah. if something breaks or yeah that was the most demanding i think that when i did more of that work yeah because that is unfortunately a big part of the whole music business and especially live shows is just waiting yeah you really have to have patience and uh, yeah and even though you don't have that patience you just must you must find it somehow yeah yeah but it it, it is what it is i mean yeah. some people can take it some people can't but, but to every musician out there playing venues big or small or festivals big or small i don't it doesn't matter try and treat everyone that works on a festival or venue with respect because they come before you and they leave after you and they do all the hard work for you so you can go up and pretend to be a rock star Hmm. so just be respectful Hmm. Uh, let's continue with Amaranth oh yeah Uh, how did you end up (laughs) playing bass in Amaranth well also one of those freaky accidents no uh, actually it was um, when I was playing in this band Head Plate and and that era of my life uh, you knew everyone basically mm. and there were a couple of big music stores in Gothenburg and there was this one music store that was closest to where I lived at the at the moment so I just ended up to go there to buy whatever I needed and sometimes just went there to hang out and you sort of the guys some of the guys working there also played in bands that rehearsed at the same mm. space as I did uh, and I actually yeah I got to got to know them uh, better and we hung out in the rehearsal space having coffee or whatever then ended up going to shows together and just hanging out and becoming friends. And one of those guys was uh, the guy who goes under the name Andy Hell, mm. uh, a.k.a. Uh, Andreas Solveström. Uh, and he called me up one night, I think it was a Friday evening or something, and asked me, hey, uh, have you heard about my my project I'm part of that, uh, named Amaranth? No, can't really say that I did, sorry. And he started to explain that, yeah, well, it's uh, me and a couple of guys and this girl. uh, And he started to name drop. And I sort of recognized the name and he tried to describe the guys. Like, yeah, I maybe know who he is and I maybe know who that is. I'm pretty sure, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, The girl, I have no idea. And you talk about this Danish drummer. I'm sorry, my knowledge with Danish people are slim. Yeah. However, he told me to go in on this old school website called MySpace yeah. to listen to it. So, yeah, cool. I gave it a listen and uh, decided that I would call back, uh, listen to it. And I think if it was hunger or uh, leave everything behind that I heard first, uh, I can't swear, but I think it was the sort of demo versions of mm. uh and I kind of liked it, and it was like, okay, this is a bit different than what I've done before. Still metal, but still, hmm, okay. Yeah. Maybe not true metal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck true metal. Uh, no, but uh, give it a listen. And, uh, yeah, why not? Because I've sort of, at that specific moment, I was in another band, than not Headplate, I sort of left Headplate just before that, and trying to get that band working and I, then I got this offer, and I always wanted to play with Andy because I, we're great friends. So I just, yeah, and I like the music as well, so I just like, all right, let's see, mm. let's try. So I got invited to one of the rehearsals. Uh, I got like a couple of songs to go to play through, 
Uh, and it went good, and we just decided pretty soon that, uh, because they had their very first show at Sticky Fingers, I think it was, actually it was 2nd of October 2009, 2009 mm. yeah. uh, because it was the day before my 30th birthday. Yeah. That's how old I am. No, but uh, we agreed that I would do the show and basically be this sort of uh, session player. Mm. Not being part of the band, but just... Play shows. Play the shows and mm. and all that. Which was very strange for me at that time because session, well, that sounds like yeah. not metal, but okay. So you had gotten used to the, like, uh, if you're in a band, you're in a band. Yeah, that was sort of mm. my conception or my, my idea of being in a band that either mm. you're in the band or you're not mm. and if you're in you play if you're not in you don't play period mm. but later on sort of learned that session musicians are also doing metal mm. no but um we did the show uh, in Gothenburg uh, we thought that it went great most likely it sounded like shit uh, I really don't want to go and find it <laughs> Yeah. But uh never mind it it went good and uh after the show I sort of got a just in the bypassing by the singer Jake he just like patted my shoulder and sort of just like, hey by the way you're in the band. Mm. Oh, okay. What about the session bullshit? Yeah. Ah, you're in the band. <laughs> so it was very de-dramatized in that sense. Mm. So yeah, I was before the show I was a session musician after the show I was in the band. So yeah. So what was the journey from that first show and after you became a member to the first record? Oh, uh, we started off playing uh, minor shows, more or less getting what we wanted, getting whatever we could get uh, Mm. as all bands. Uh, But we pretty soon, I think like six months after that first show, we got a a spine farm contacted us from Mm. their Helsinki office. Uh, and asked if we were interested in putting up a, tr- a record together with them. Uh, and of course we were. So it took some time of uh, our manager at the time sort of wheeling and dealing back and forth. And then yeah. the summer after, in 2010, uh, we signed this deal with Spine Farm uh, at this Swedish festival uh in Jävle, I can't remember the name of the festival. Uh. Hmm. Never mind. It hmm. was this festival that was in this town. And my sister's boyfriend, he had a friend that had a big ass yacht. Yeah. And he sort of like, yeah, we are coming to the festival because they always went to festivals. And we're going to go there with this, this big ass boat. And yeah, you can sign your contract on that. That would be so <laughs> fucking cool. Of and we were like, yeah, cool. Set everything up. Uh, two A&Rs from uh, Spine Farm came with the contract. And as always after a show, we played our show. And then, of course, you have a few beers and then some more. And then we headed off to the boat for this magic signing mm. that we thought that, yeah, in one hour, we're going to have a big-ass party drinking champagne and whatnot. Mm. But it just dragged out on time because they wanted to go through every single point of this contract, yeah. making sure that we understood everything. So 
during this, we said, I can, I can have one more beer. I can have one more beer. Uh, and later on, I think someone said, okay, if we're going to be able to sign this, we need to sign it now yeah. because in five minutes, we're not going to be able to because mm. too much beer. So we simply just dropped all the conversations, signed it, and then there was this party and rigged up with uh, on flight deck of this boat. We had a small drum kit and uh, amplifier, so we started to sort of jam. Once again, Metallica songs, yeah, I guess, and in this uh, in the harbor of this city and making a lot of havoc and noise. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and having a good party. So okay. these were Finnish uh, record company uh, uh, people coming yeah. to Sweden to a boat. Yeah, it's it's like the <laughs> perfect stereotype of Petre folk. Yeah, it, like it's like we have here in Finland. Yeah, it, it was really it was like this awesome start of a really bad idea <laughs> but yeah. it was it was a cool idea but i think we would have executed it a bit different yeah. today perhaps fucking swedish people with their yachts and <laughs> yeah finnish people coming yeah. yeah you guys think you can drink yeah and yeah, yeah. no but it was we had a lot of fun it was and, good and also the fact that they really had you go through every page that's also a really finnish feature i would think Yeah, but it, it it is also very good because uh, yeah. it's important for the record label to understand that the artist actually knows what they're signing. Yeah, of and course, it's yeah. also very important for the artist to know what they are signing into. Yeah, because I've I've seen some contracts uh, outside of Amaranth Sphere, so to speak. That is just who would ever sign this kind of things. Yeah, like. Some contract, side note, some tr- a contract I read was like, uh, w- where is this sort of valid? Mm. And it's simply stated in the now known universe. Mm. All right. In the now known universe. But m- maybe tomorrow they discover a different star. Would that make the, w- what was that? And it was like worldwide and beyond. Mm. And just... Why even put that in a contract? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's first year signing mm-hmm. and then starting to work on the first album and heading off to Denmark for recordings. Yeah. And at some point you went on your first Euro- European kind of uh, tour with a Toyota or something. Yeah, there was uh, uh, Elise and Jake Uh, they were sort of backup singers for this American band called Camelot that did a European tour. So Jake and Elise, they were sort of part of that tour as backup singers and mm-hmm. and such. Uh, and we managed to wheel and deal that we were welcome to be opening up for them in like, was it Copenhagen, Stockholm, Gothenburg, Helsinki, Turku and Oslo. Mm. And They too, them too, they were, of course, traveling on the tour bus and uh, after the show, they just packed their gear up mm. and they went to sleep in a tour bus while me, Olof, Andy and Morten, uh, we were the cool kids. We actually did that in a Toyota, a Vensis we got to borrow mm. from Toyota in Gothenburg and literally just drove behind the bus mm as much as we could. So they went off with the bus, sleeping while traveling. We partied, went to a hotel, slept pretty much too little, and then got into the car and drove to the next city. And it was really, really 
exhausting, but it was fun. It was nice to be sort of in, encountering that kind of touring. Yeah. <laughs> it, it brings some good memories. So actually. when was the first tour that you got yourself to be in a in a tour bus then? Well, for me personally, it was uh, later. I can't remember if it was Hammerfall tour or the another Camelot tour that we did. Um, I know that Olaf and uh, and Morton had done tours with real tour buses before, mm. uh, but this was the first time with me and uh, uh, for me, and I think it was. I think it was Hammerfall, mm. and it was like a. All in all, seven week Europe tour, uh, and it was it was a lot of fun. Hammerfall had their own bus, uh, and we had our our bus, mm. and it, we we had a lot of fun. It was crazy, and I'm surprised that we all survived with some sort of sanity left. Mm. But uh, yeah, that was the. I think it was Hammerfall. I'm not swearing to it, but most likely it was, or Camelot. But I don't know. I can't yeah. remember. <laughs> Well, that was it was a lot of fun yeah uh, this is the question that I ask everybody is the when was the first time that you thought that the hard work is starting to pay off and uh, this this doesn't like I said with Jan at the last interviewee mm. I said that this doesn't really have to be like streams or money or anything but just what when did it start to feel for you that this is something that you would like to do and uh And uh, it's 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 worth the while, so to speak. Because people tend to uh, kind of uh, measure these these things in streams and money and uh, such. Yeah. Uh, actually, it's a very difficult question to answer because it sort of grows with time. Mm. And I think I. I most likely a completely different story than last time or answer mm. because I think it sort of changes on how you look at it but I think that when I discovered that this is sort of being something it so many things but I know that we went 10 years ago actually pretty much on the day mm. we got to play this show in Tunisia mm. with uh Symphony X, and it was this show put together just after the Arabian Spring uh, Revolution. Yeah, uh, getting there to play for people who has not been able to sort of go to metal shows before and see this sort of happiness mm. and just how insanely crazy that was in a lot of ways, both on and off stage, it was insane, and you see how happy people were about all this and I think that was one of those moments where you felt like you actually made a difference where you actually contributed with something mm. and you got something much more valuable than money or stream numbers or whatever it was sort of this feeling of putting a smile on someone's face yeah and giving people a, a good good feeling yeah and I think that The feeling you can give people with music, of course, money is unfortunately a a, a a big motivator. But also this feeling, when you see someone appreciating what you do, and really loving it, yeah, and just be happy to sort of shake your hands or get an autograph afterwards, it can be more rewarding than any royalties or mm. 
anything yet that you get. And it, of course, the feeling of playing live and yeah, like what you get for yourself in a way, but you make other feels others feel good, but you also make yourself feel yeah. good. And yeah, it's it, it it's a very strange sort of symbiosis. I go I go up and play. Mm-hmm. And someone gets really happy because we are up on stage and playing, mm-hmm. and then in return, that happiness that that person gets because we are on stage mm-hmm. sort of spreads back to us, and mm-hmm. we get happiness from that happiness or energy, sort of. So it's this sort of perfect symbiosis, and it it's very you can't put a value on that, mm. and yeah, it's it's one of those things. And I think that that show, especially, that was one of those moments mm. that was just sort of clicked. In yeah, yeah, in one way, yeah. This is the end of part two with Johan Andersen. To hear more about his current situation and how he has been coping during the lack of live shows during the pandemic, listen to part three.